Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area, but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. Turn to John chapter 10 here this morning. We have kind of taken a different course for 2023 because everything is traveling so fast. And it is impossible to keep up, so we are trying to hit some high spots on some things that we need to know. And it may be to this point, because here we are already towards the end of April, that you might be thinking that, well, these are kind of things that we know, but do we really know them? And do we know them in the way in which we are passing them on? to those who are coming after us. And so we're looking at a very familiar text, or it should be a very familiar text to Christians, John chapter 10, but I've included this in the things that we need to know uh, because of the grave importance of what is revealed here. So let's turn to John chapter 10. And I am going to read a large portion of scripture here this morning. And so we'll begin reading in verse number one. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens. And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, so he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, 
Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father." Therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you were not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. This is going to be an unusual, different type of sermon here this morning. Or at least that is the intention as I get going. It may become a typical uh, old sermon (laughs) um, that is not much different. Who knows? But we are focused this year on things that you need to know. And our text this morning is definitely one that contains many things that we need to know. Uh, Primarily, primarily the exclusivity of Christ, the exclusiveness of Christ and the fact that he is the good shepherd. Although there are many ways we could approach this text here this morning, I want to focus here on some things that we need to know coming from a specific purpose, and that is not just declaring, even though it definitely includes it because it is foundational, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but also how we can know who are messengers of this way, truth, and life. For we are living in a day and time of great delusion. And it is only going to increase, not because I think that things have to continually get worse and worse and worse. No, they're just going to continue to get worse and worse and worse until we repent and turn back to the Lord. And so, it doesn't look like that's on the horizon anytime soon. But, in the midst of this great delusion... That is making our world dark again, for we are going back to the dark ages. There have been dark ages in the past, and there will probably be dark ages in the future, and we are definitely headed back into a dark age. 
unless God sends revival and reformation. But in the midst of this great delusion that has taken hold of Western civilization, and you know it has to be great delusion, when you can't even distinguish between men and women. Biologically, we cannot distinguish between male and female anymore. That is great delusion. The whole world has known biologically that there are two sexes in the human race, male and female. And today we say, oh no, there's not. There are, and of course depends on how many, uh, any individual person wants to list a number because it's all made up anyway, right? It doesn't matter if it's certain social media formats that are providing 56 different genders. doesn't matter if it's 56 or 46 or 106. They're all made up numbers because there are only two. That's how deluded we are. And so this delusion is so great that it's making our world dark with deception, false prophets, false priests, false kings, And I want us to be able to identify and recognize false shepherds that will lead us to hell. Now, we did not get to this state of deconstruction innocently. We're here for a reason. And it's because of our sin. It is because we have turned from the way of God unto our own way. There are specific reasons we are in a delusional state here in the West, and it is not without cause. There is always a cause for every effect, and there is an effect for every cause. It is the principle of sowing and reaping, and we can't even recognize that any longer, right? It's basic 101. Uh, not, it's basic 101 natural law. It is basic 101 revealed law. And Deuteronomy 28 is all about sowing and reaping. If you sow the good things, you'll reap good things from God, blessings. If you sow the bad things, you'll reap bad things from God, curses. It's sowing and reaping, right? And that's why we're here today in this present state in 2023 in Western civilization. And if we don't acknowledge this fact, we are not going to be able to begin the work of correcting, rebuilding, replowing, and replanting. We'll just continue down this road of deception, suffering worse and worse effects until someone comes along at some point in time and explains that the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same destructive things over and over and over again. But here in our text, we have a continuation from chapter 9 of John where Jesus is in direct confrontation with the Pharisees. We must remember that the Pharisees are the conservatives, of that day. The Sadducees were the liberals of that day. They were theologically, the Sadducees were theological and political liberals. The Pharisees were theological and political conservatives. And what we find is Jesus in confrontation with the Pharisees more than anybody. It's interesting, right? I think it's interesting because it leads us to a faulty understanding of what was going on there in the first century and here in the Gospels. You see, the Pharisees were our people. All right? 
Um, but Jesus is always in confrontation with them. This parlay, as Matthew Henry calls it, was over Jesus' healing of a blind man in John chapter 9. And this doing of good, as Peter proclaims in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, that Jesus of Nazareth, who was anointed by God with the Holy Ghost and with power, went about doing good. I mean, that's commonly recognized, right? I mean, we find that in Scripture, even from the unbelieving Jews and the Pharisees themselves, that Jesus went around doing good. You can even talk to liberals today, and they will tell you that Jesus went around doing good. Right? Everyone acknowledges that fact. And so it was this doing of good in healing all who were oppressed of the devil that caused controversies and conflicts with the religious leaders of his day. As in John chapter 9 when he healed the blind man on the Sabbath. The Pharisees, who were the authorized religious leaders of their day, and even Jesus recognized their authority. As sitting in Moses' seat, in Matthew 23, verse 1, we read this, Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not according to their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay it on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. Yeah, some things don't change. And here we are today, in a similar situation, with similar context and circumstances, right? We're in a similar situation, and it makes it very difficult to preach this sermon or possibly a couple different sermons spewing forth out of this uh, because the reality of our situation really is much like the first century in what we are facing and how we are going to or how we must combat it. I mean, just think, how arrogant do you suppose that the Pharisees and scribes thought Jesus and his disciples were? Because they were proclaiming that they were wrong. John chapter 10 is all about Jesus saying that the Pharisees, whom Jesus recognized to be a legitimate, successive authority from Moses, of whom that he commanded the people should obey the authority that was found in Moses, he says that they are false shepherds. And we live in a day like that today, where we must say that the overwhelming majority of conservative quote-unquote, Christian leaders in America are false shepherds. The Pharisees were really offended by this. They were offended by Jesus. 
And after Jesus' ascension into heaven, the ministry of the apostles was no different. They were always offending. And what we find recorded more in scripture than anywhere else is the great offense towards the conservative element of Judaism. And why the offense? Well, it begins with the exclusivity of Christ. That he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. And we say, yeah, but doesn't conservative Christianity adhere to that? And it's like, well, do you think the Pharisees said that the Messiah was the way, the truth, and the life? Yeah. In name only, just like we today, we throw Jesus' name around like a drunken sailor. And that's about what it's worth, right? Isn't it? We throw it around left and right, but it's in name only. It's not in any true reality that he is the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, we profane his name much worse than what you're going to hear at any port when the ship comes in. And so here in our text, we find that Jesus is the door. He's the true and good shepherd, that he and the Father are one. And additionally, Jesus is also identifying who are the true and false under-shepherds. And the Pharisees knew he was speaking of them when he spoke of the thieves and the robbers and the strangers and the hirelings and the wolves. Matthew Henry wrote this. He said, the Pharisees supported themselves and their opposition to Christ with this principle that they were the pastors of the church, and that Jesus, having no commission from them, was an intruder and an imposter, and therefore the people were bound in duty to stick to them against him. In opposition to this, Christ here describes, he's talking about John 10, Christ here describes who were the false shepherds and who the true, leaving them to infer what they were. Now we notice after the first statement by Jesus in verses 1 through 5 that in verse number 6 that at first they didn't understand. They weren't picking up on what Jesus was setting down. Notice Jesus used this illustration talking about the shepherd and sheep but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. And so then Jesus proceeds to make sure that they understand. And isn't this kind of a reoccurring theme that you find in the ministry of Jesus? He'll make a statement and everybody's like, oh, what's he talking about? This is crazy. And they debate amongst themselves. Well, hey, I think he meant this. And no, I think he meant that. And everybody, and then Jesus comes back around and makes sure that they understand. And then they get mad, right? That's usually how it goes. So he then proceeds in verses beginning in verse 7 to make sure that they understand. 
And then notice what happens in verse number 19 after he goes through his second statement. It says, therefore, there was division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and he's mad. Why do you listen to him? And then others were like, no, they, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So here we have this debate going on about what Jesus meant and what he said. And finally, once Jesus makes it even more clear to them, John records this in verse number 31. Then the Jews took up stones to stone him. And I think that is what you want to find a similar pattern today. At first, they're not quite understanding what we're saying. And then as we try to make it more clear, there's this debate going on. It's this, it's that. But there's going to come a point in time in this great delusion where it becomes explicitly clear what we are saying and they're going to take up stones. They knew Jesus was speaking of them. And that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Is when it's a true confrontation. So when Jesus, or when they knew that Jesus was speaking of them and speaking about them, then they seek to kill him, and they do so in trying to sound spiritual, as if they're defending God against a false shepherd, because this is really the battle line, right? This is the line in the sand. And this line in the sand is, is who is the true shepherd, and who are the true shepherds of this true shepherd? And then, who are the false shepherds? And this is something that we need to know as we are living in a day of darkness, deception, and delusion due to the thieves and robbers, strangers, hirelings, and wolves. Therefore, it is essential for us to be able to discern who is the true shepherd and who are working and who it is that's working for the true shepherd, lest we be deceived and our souls damned because we're following the wrong voice. And there are many voices out there today. And so it's easy to be deceived today. This is a very easy time to be deceived. It is very hard not to be deceived because we live in a day of deception. If deception is the norm, then that means not to be deceived is abnormal. It's weird. It's unusual. And so, that's the day that we live in. And the reason why it's a day of deception and easy to be deceived is because it is a day of confusion. If Eve could be easily deceived by the voice of one lone snake, how much more should we be concerned today when there are millions of voices from snakes? If Paul, in the first century and during the infancy of Christianity, could write to the Christians in Corinth and say in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, But I fear... I fear. Paul had fear. 
I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by, Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus. See, we need to stop and think about this. Paul wasn't saying, hey, be on the lookout for those who are going to preach in the name of some other guru. Be on the lookout for some other deity or God. No, he said, be on the lookout. And what I fear is, is that there will come to you someone who is preaching Jesus. But it's a different Jesus. That they are preaching a gospel, but it's a different gospel. He says, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. How much more should we fear today? Now, I have this very long quote, and I apologize from the get-go, but I think it is absolutely essential. I have this very long quote from John Calvin, but I believe that it's helpful for us this morning. He wrote, As Christ had to do with scribes and priests who were reckoned pastors of the church, it was necessary that they should be divested divested of the honor of this title if he wished his doctrine to be received. The small number of believers... <laughs> sorry, I knew I, was not going to be able, I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it. So anyway, he says that um, Christ knew that he had to deal with the false teachers first if his doctrine was going to be received. And that's what is needed today as well. We need to divest those of their titles who are false shepherds and who are false prophets and false priests and false pastors and false teachers if we're ever going to be able to get the true doctrine of Christ to be received. And so, Calvin continues, the small number of believers might also diminish greatly the authority of this doctrine. He therefore contends that we ought not to reckon in the number of shepherds or the sheep all who outwardly claim a place in the church, but we shall never be able, by means of this mark, to distinguish the lawful shepherds from the reprobate and the true sheep from the counterfeit, if all have the same object and the begin- and beginning and end. This warning has been highly useful in all ages, and in the present day it is especially necessary. No plague is more destructive to the church than when wolves ravage under the garb of shepherds. We know also how grievous an offense it is when bastard or degenerate Israelites pretend to be the sons of the church and on this pretense insult believers. But in the present day, there is nothing by which weak and ignorant persons are more alarmed than when they see the sanctuary of God occupied by the greatest enemies of the church. For it is not easy to make them understand that it is the doctrine of Christ with which the shepherds of the church so fiercely resist. Besides, 
As the greater part of men are led into various errors by false doctrines, while the views and expectations of each person are directed to others, scarcely any person permits himself to be conducted into the right path. We must, therefore, above all things, guard against being deceived by pretended shepherds or counterfeit sheep. If we do not choose of our own accord to expose ourselves to wolves and thieves, the name of the church is highly honorable and justly so. But the greater the reverence which it deserves, so much more careful and attentive ought we to be in marking the distinction between true and false doctrine. Christ here declares openly that we ought not to reckon as shepherds all who boast of being such, and that we ought not to reckon as sheep all who boast of outward marks. He speaks of the Jewish church, but what he says applies equally well to our own. We ought also to consider his purpose and design that we consciences may not be alarmed or discouraged when they perceive that they who rule in the church instead of pastors or shepherds are hostile or opposed to the gospel, and that they may not turn aside from the faith because they have few fellow disciples in listening to Christ among those who are called Christians, end of quote. So, let's begin looking here in our passage, and what we're going to do is just break it down. So we see the first part, the true shepherd, in verses 1 through 6. Jesus begins by saying, most assuredly in the New King James Version, or verily, verily in the King James, or truly, truly in other versions. These statements we should pay special attention to as Jesus is placing the highest emphasis upon what he is about to say. Just like in John 3, in verse 3, when Jesus answers Nicodemus and says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 5, 24, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. Or John chapter 6 and verse 47, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And so here we find Jesus beginning this dissertation by saying, most assuredly, I say to you. So we can take confidence that this is something extremely important for us to consider as he says most assuredly in complete utmost confidence and authority. So there's no ambiguity here. All right? This is not a gray area. This is not secondary or indifferent. This is absolute. So let's first of all notice the sheepfold. And that's what we're going to kind of do here over the next few minutes is just look at the content and the, con- uh, the content of who is involved in this parable. So first of all, we notice the sheepfold. The word here translated sheepfold is actually two words put together the first is the greek word for sheep and the second is the greek word for palace hall or court now 
back during the time of the Greeks, uh, of course, shepherding and sheep was a very important thing all throughout ancient civilization, right? And in amongst the Greeks, the, a sheepfold was an uncovered space around the house, enclosed by a wall in which the stables stood, hence the Orientals, uh, amongst the Orientals, that roofless, uh, roofless enclosure was uh, surrounded by this wall, so that in the open country, the flocks were herded there at night into this sheepfold. They could still graze, but it afforded them protection. In the Old Testament, we have the uncovered courtyard of the sanctuary in the tabernacle, and the temple there in Jerusalem, The dwellings of the higher classes usually had two, one exterior and one between the door and the street, the other interior surrounded by the buildings of the dwelling itself. It was incorporated not only in the religious life, but also in the home life of the Israelites. And so what we find here in relation to the sheepfold is it's a place of pasture and protection. And one has to enter by the door that is opened by the gatekeeper, which means that we need to take note of that. There is a gatekeeper to open and shut the door. And the sheep follow the voice of the shepherd through the door into the sheepfold. Then notice the door. In verse number 1, it talks about he who does not enter uh, the sheepfold by the door. And then notice he says, but he who does enter by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And then it talks about the doorkeeper. And then we notice the shepherd. He who enters in verse number two, by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And then every him and he that follows that is talking about the shepherd to him and his voice. And he calls and he brings out his own sheep and he goes before them and they follow him and they know his voice talking about the shepherd. And then we have the sheep. Because they're sheep, they have a shepherd. And because he is a shepherd, he has sheep. But the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep. He leads out his own sheep. And the sheep follow the shepherd. And then we notice the stranger, beginning in verse number 5. Jesus says that the sheep will by no means follow a stranger, but they will actually flee from him. They'll run away from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. And of course, after he had made this first illustration, the Jews did not understand the things that he was speaking to them about. And so Jesus continues on in verse number 7 through 21 and begins to talk about the good shepherd. And again, we see that there is a door. In verse number 7, he says, I am the door. In verse number 9, he repeats it, I am the door. And then he states that the only way you can be saved is to enter in by me, Jesus says. And then we notice in this next section of verses 7 through 21 that there are also thieves and robbers. In verse number 8, if you try to enter any other way other than through the door, whom Jesus has identified as himself, because he is the way, the truth, and the life, 
that if you try to enter any other way than through Christ, you're a thief and a robber. And then he makes this very interesting statement, because we like to look at the thief and the robber as like, oh, it's just someone that's just trying to get in. Because we believe in the goodness of man today, right? Oh, it's just someone just trying to get in. No, they're trying to remove Christ. And so Jesus says in verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then we notice the sheep again. In verse number 11, when he's talking about himself being the good shepherd, he says he lays down his life for the sheep. And then he talks about the hireling who does not own the sheep and does not care about the sheep, and he leaves the sheep. And then the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. But Jesus says that he's the good shepherd, therefore he knows his sheep. And he even has, lays down his life for his sheep, and he has other sheep that aren't even in this fold. And then we notice the thief in this passage. Um, because there's a little, or excuse me, we notice the good shepherd and Jesus says that he is the good shepherd and that he lays down his life for his sheep. And he repeats it in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. And then we notice there's a wolf in verse number 12. Talking about the hireling, the one who should be defending the sheep. But he does not because he's just in it for the money. He's just in it for the benefits. He's just in it for his own advantage. When the wolf comes along, the hireling flees. But there is this, there's a wolf. There are wolves that are trying to eat the sheep. And then we notice the hireling, right? He is the one who is supposed to be guarding the sheep, but he does not do his duty because he doesn't have anything invested. All he is seeking is to receive. And then again, we notice the sheepfold in this section as well. In verse number 16, when Jesus says that, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I will bring them in, and they'll hear my voice, and there'll be one flock and one shepherd. And then we notice the Father, beginning in verse number 15. He says, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And then he says in verse 17, therefore my Father loves me. And then he talks about the command that he has received from his Father, which was to lay down his life for the sheep. And so we find this, these things mentioned in verses 7 through 21. And then notice the faithful shepherd in verses 22 through 30. We first of all notice the Christ. He says, because this is how the conversation re-engages. And they're like, quit keeping us in doubt. Tell us plainly, are you the Messiah or are you not? Are you the Christ or are you not? And of course, he goes on 
to tell them he's already told them, and their problem is that they just do not believe. And then we have the Father mentioned here again as well, the works that he is doing. He does it in his Father's name, and that those whom the sheep the Father has given him, no one is able to snatch them out of his hand because he and the Father are one. And then we notice in this section also uh, the shepherd, when he's talking about my sheep, my sheep, my sheep, And then we notice the sheep. So he tells the unbelieving Jews, your problem is you don't believe. And the reason why you don't believe, because you're not my sheep. And then he says, my sheep, hear my voice. So we notice here in this passage, first of all, that Jesus is the door. The only entrance into the kingdom of God the only entrance into the ark, the only entrance into the household of God is through Jesus Christ. Not only is he the door, but he's also the shepherd. He is the way in which you enter, but he is the one who also must lead you into this sheepfold. And then we notice that the church is the sheepfold will be bearing out some of this more next week. But we notice the, sheep, the, the church is the sheepfold. The sheep are those who follow the shepherd, those who believe in Jesus Christ. They believe that he is the prophet, priest, and king. They believe that he is the savior of the world. They believe that he is the son of God. They believe that he was God manifested in the flesh. They believe that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who the sheep are, right? They are the ones who follow the shepherd. They are the ones whom Jesus said, if you want to be a follower of me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And these sheep are those who have done that. They are followers of the shepherd. The thieves and the robbers are those who attempt to enter without going through Christ. The wolves are those who attempt to kill the sheep. The strangers are those who do not belong to the sheepfold. The hirelings are the under-shepherds who do not love the shepherd or the sheep, but only themselves. And they're only seeking their own advantage, their own profit. So I want us to consider this concept that there are false shepherds. And that there are hirelings. And that there are wolves. And that there are thieves and robbers. And this goes all the way through the history of the world. In Jeremiah 14, verse 15, this is what is declared. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that prophesy in my name, and I sent them not. This was a problem in Old Testament Israel, was it not? And the problem was the people were always wanting to follow the false shepherds and the false prophets and the false teachers because they are the ones who told them what they wanted to hear. Paul talks about this, having itching ears, and so you seek out teachers who will rub your ears. Oh, isn't that nice? Doesn't that feel good? Oh. Right? Isn't that what happens? They tell us what we want to hear. But the Lord says concerning the false shepherds of Israel, they prophesy in my name. Notice they was not prophesying in the name of Baal. Or Astaroth. 
But they were prophesying in the name of Jehovah, Almighty God. But God says, I didn't send them. They're not for me. Jeremiah also talks about those prophets that God did not send, yet they ran. They're always the most enthusiastic. They're, they're never like Moses is like, I, I can't do it. I can't, I can't speak. They're not like Jeremiah, Isaiah, all of them who's always at first overwhelmed by the task. But no, they're enthusiastic. And they're always ready to run. But the Lord says, I'm against them, saith the Lord, that prophesy false dreams and do tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their lightness. Yet I have not sent, I sent them not, nor commanded them. Therefore they shall not profit this people at all. We have to close. But let me say that the bulk of what's being done in Christ's name in America has not profited us at all. And the reason why it has not profited us at all is because they were false prophets. Not true shepherds. False shepherds. Hirelings at best. Wolves at worst. But at any rate, the conclusion's still the same. The sheep are scattered. And the sheep become a prey. We'll continue to look more at this next week. Father, we pray that you would help us in this our hour of temptation, in this our hour of affliction, in this our hour of tribulation. Father, may you help us in our temptations to stand firm and strong in Christ. And Lord, may you grant us wisdom, knowledge, and discernment so that we will not be counted among those who are deceived and led astray or those who are devoured. So Lord, we need your protection. We need Christ, our shepherd, to guide us and to lead us But our problem has been as we have not wanted to follow. We have not wanted to submit to him. So we pray that you would help us to surrender our all to him and wherever he leads us that we would follow. In his name we pray. Amen.